Welcome to Voices of the Walk, Pass for All's everyday walking podcast. Our mission is to get Scotland walking, everyone, everywhere and every day. In this podcast series, we'll be hearing from a variety of Scotland's walking champions who are helping make our vision a reality. Hello and welcome to this Voices of the Walk podcast episode. My name's Zoe Niven and I'm a Senior Development Officer with the Walking for Health team at Pass for All. I'm delighted to be having a chat with Professor Nanette Moutry from the University of Edinburgh. Nanette is a renowned champion for physical activity and walking for health. Using her research and background in psychology, she's been very influential in the development of physical activity policy in Scotland and beyond. Nanette directs the Physical Activity for Health Research Centre, or PARC as we like to call it for short, within the University of Edinburgh. It's a global centre of excellence in the field of physical activity for health and Annette and her team at PARC produce robust evidence and recommendations on how to encourage people of all ages to sit less and move more. Recently, Nanette was part of the expert group involved in creating the latest Chief Medical Officer's Physical Activity Guidelines, which now have an increased emphasis on activities which build muscle strength and challenge your balance. Now that these new guidelines have been published, Nanette is involved in looking at how to communicate these messages and monitoring their impact. And in 2015, to mark Nanette's significant contribution, Nanette was awarded an MBE in the New Year's Honours List for Services to Physical Activity in Scotland. Physical Activity for Health in Scotland. Hello Nanette, and thank you so much for taking part in our first podcast to be recorded via an online Zoom meeting. How are you doing? Well, Zoe, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Um, really nice that you, you spelled out these things for me. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be able to chat with you this afternoon about one of my favourite topics, you know, walking, strength, balance. I'm in there. That's great. So, Annette, tell us a wee bit about yourself and how you like to keep active. Ah, uh, well, one of my main motivations is that I have three dogs, two Labradoodles and a Border Terrier, who demand a lot of activity. So that helps me very much. I'm also a commuting cyclist, and I recently bought an e-bike, which has returned a great smile to my face every time I'm out on my bike commuting places. That's brilliant. Your successful career has been dedicated to spreading physical activity messages. What have been your personal highlights and why? Oh, well, uh, that's a difficult question in many ways. So I think a particular highlight that set me on the right course was actually taking myself to America in the early 80s to do my PhD. So um, in the UK at the time, it was very hard for someone with my background, I was originally a physical education teacher, to go on and study further. No universities had sports science by that time. Nobody was focusing on physical activity for health at all. And I was very lucky to get a Fulbright scholarship and I went to the Pennsylvania State University and was supervised by a woman called Dorothy Harris, who had the physical activity message all over her work. And so I learned tons about that from every department of Penn State Graduate School, which had all the disciplines that we need to put together to, to do the physical activity message. I focused on psychology and my thesis was about uh, helping people with depression use physical activity, and it was mainly walking, to help their recovery. So I think that's a particular highlight. And then 
that enabled me to be in Glasgow University and help start the very first uh, sports science course in Scotland. Uh, and then a bit of time at Strathclyde University and now Edinburgh University. And the highlight now is, of course, being able to lead the Physical Activity for Health Research Centre. That is definitely the peak of my career. Um, a great team. We're all focused on the same thing. Uh, the arguments that I needed to make in the very first place that physical activity was very important. We should have more research. They have been accepted and we now have a dedicated research centre. So that's my main highlight now. Yeah, and it's great that they took that on so quickly. And we've obviously enjoyed many um, partnership projects with you, you know, through Step Count Challenge research and research with our walkers and so on. So it's been a great to have you and the, the team there to, to work with and to get your expertise. Thank you. Yeah, so you've played an important part in the new Chief Medical Officer's guidelines which were published in September. Can you explain you know, what your role was in that and what's happening now to communicate those recommendations? Yes, so um, along with many countries around the world and then more recently with the WHO, the World Health Organization itself, people were revising the guidelines that had been put in place uh, for about 10 to 15 years about how much activity was important for health and for different age groups and so on. So the UK decided to revise those guidelines and during the intervening years, I had been part of an expert panel advising the chief medical officers about infographics and the need to update certain parts and so on. So um, I applied to be part of this new team and I had a particular interest, I said, in communication of the messages and surveillance, meaning how do countries actually measure our population's physical activity levels. So that was my role. I was trying to use the opportunity to consult with people about how we would communicate the new and updated guidelines. And the main thing that came from that was we need to go beyond health professionals because that was really the focus of the previous guideline that we were reaching out to health professionals to make sure they understood the minimums required for health. Everyone said more than that needs to know. So we're focused on that. And in terms of surveillance, we uh, organized and, and produced a paper about how the four home countries of the UK currently measure physical activity and made some recommendations about going forward. It seems to me a key opportunity that we all do it the same way. And at the moment, we don't quite. And so when Scotland, as it happens, seems to have higher levels of physical activity across the population, some people want to say that's because you measure it differently. It's not really. We are doing well. We are doing very well. And we've had a consistent increase now from 2012 to 2018, a significant change. It's a, a modest amount, 4 or 5% change in the number of people who are able to meet the 150 minutes a week message but nevertheless there are no other countries showing that trend so scotland's doing well but to avoid the criticism that is because of how we measure it we are really proposing through surveillance that over time the four home countries get the same approach to doing this and we'll have much better information about how we're all doing or doing well together in fact so going forward i'm now chairing a communications special grouping again applications were invited 
from across this, all the sectors in the UK and we're focusing about what to do with these guidelines and how to get the message out to the various groupings. We've met once and we're in the process of doing some small group work and, and we'll be producing a report on that in a few months, I imagine. I know um, some of your colleagues um, at the Physical Activity Health Research Centre are looking at physical activity messaging and yeah. if that would be, the, you know, the results of that will be put towards how we can try and communicate, you know, these physical activity guidelines to, you know, the public. And Yeah, and, and a major, major simple headline from the work we're currently doing, it's, it's our student Chloe Williamson who's leading it. She's just had a paper published in which we reviewed all the possible ways there might be of messaging and physical activity, what we knew about it and where the research gaps were. And that's an interesting paper for people to read and maybe you can attach it to your uh, websites for people to follow up. But one of the crystal clear messages is that we must try to frame things in a positive way. And I feel that many previous messages about physical activity are framed in a negative way. You know, if you think back over the past five years, we might have seen reduce your risk of heart attack, reduce your risk of stroke, reduce your chances of being overweight. These are quite negatively framed. So the evidence is telling us that when you positively frame it, physical activity can help you feel better, lift your mood. Uh, even a short walk around the block can change the way you feel. These shorter term positively framed messages are heard much better. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is to target your message to the group that you want to hear it. So one single message probably doesn't work across the population. We need a message for children, for adults, for older adults, etc. So uh, these things are the top line findings from that work. Yes, really interesting findings. And I think it's a very positive development as well to have that kind of you know, evidence to, to form what these communications may be with different groups. So it's good to have that, that research to, to go back to. So part of today's physical activity messages include promoting um, strength and balance. And so for strength and balance, if people aren't so familiar with what that means, you know, as we age, we naturally lose some of our muscle strength and coordination. So our everyday activities help to maintain that to a certain extent. Um, but most of us will need to do a little bit more specific activity to help kind of maintain or build our, our muscle strength and challenge your balance, especially as we age. So as an example, muscle strengthening activities can include carrying heavy shopping bags or doing some heavy gardening, some uh, kind of resistance training, either at the gym or even at home using tins of beans or something like that you've got at home that can give you a bit of resistance um, and balance training you know things that can help your balance include dance or tai chi so i know that you have a special interest in strength and balance nanette and can you tell us a wee bit about that and what you yes. promote it yeah well you know i'm delighted first of all that pass for all who primarily encourage us to walk, have incorporated this strength and balance message because 
from about middle age onwards, the aging process decreases the strength of our muscles. But what we can do is stop that decline happening so acutely if we work with our muscles to make them as strong as they possibly can be for our age. Now, those recommendations have been there for 20 or so years, but they were simply forgotten. And I think partly they were forgotten because for surveillance, back to that topic of how we measure the population, it, around the world, it was all focused on 150 minutes of moderate, at least moderate intensity activity over the course of the week. And of course, walking is such an important uh, population way of achieving that particular aspect of a guideline for good health. But the strength and balance part was never really measured. And if you don't measure it, it doesn't seem important. And so it was forgotten. Of course, all uh, exercise classes for older adults, everyone focusing on older adults' activity, know the importance of strength and balance. I would go as far as to say it's probably more important to do strength and balance activities for older adults than it is to achieve 150 minutes of, across the course of the week. Then again, it's incredibly hard for people to do. People actually course quite naturally we all walk we can add to our walking most people can add in 10 minutes more every other day and build that up that that can happen how do we do strength and balance it's not commonly known so especially in the home we can actually do some quite easy things and i think this is where the focus of the public health message must be because even less likely that older adults will go to a gym. Now, gyms are fantastic for strength and balance. They're a very efficient way of using a machine to add resistance, add the number of repetitions you do. That's the way to build strength. But we absolutely know that not everybody likes to do that or lives near a gym or wants to invest in that. So something at home must be better, as simple as sit to stand. You know, you're on a seat, you stand up as tall as you can, you sit down again. That's a lovely little functional test. If you can do it without holding on to the seat, then the major muscle groups of the body are in good neck, as it were. Your legs can make you stand up and you can stand straight so your abdominal muscles and back muscles work. So to build on that, people need to do repetitions of it. Now, it sounds a little bit tedious, but it's better than not doing it at all. So 10 sit-to-stands would be my number one recommendation of how to build strength when all you're able to do is do something at home. And as you say, people can then be a bit inventive, that you could actually do sit to stand carrying two tins of beans. And as you stand up, you push your hands straight above your head. So you get a little bit of strength exercise with your arms above your head. And that in itself is using all the major mu muscle groups of the body. But that is difficult to do. And so the public health message of strength and balance has a lot of challenge in getting the message across. Just as I've done this now, that still remains quite a complex message, much more complex than walk for 10 minutes today, maybe 20 minutes later in the week. So all the things that we can do to help that are important. So you have, I know uh, now the walk leaders trained to stop on walks and encourage people to do their strength and balance exercises as part of the route. That's critical. That's all knowledge. Everyone begins to think that's the normal thing. 
or we have parks uh, and I know you have some of them and in my own park here in Glasgow I've put little signs, nine signs that require no equipment that just encourage that kind of strength and balance exercise. Um, so all of that's important for the public to go, ah, oh, that's what that is. And if you've learned it on a walk, you would be able to do it at home. Because the critical thing about strength is it needs to be challenged all the time. Twice a week is the recommendation for strength and balance exercise. So even if we're part of a walking group, that might be only once a week, we need to do the strength and balance at home as well. So I think that's the critical challenge for messaging getting that part of the guideline out and well known you mentioned your local park project and that you've been introducing some strength and balance there do you want to go into a bit more yeah on that well just as i've been saying i think people don't know about it and i'm noticed in walking through the park with my dogs and mums and dads with their kids and playing not many people are inclined to use the fixed equipment that you see in some parks. Um, they are good things. I would use them myself if I had it in the park, but they're expensive. And they seem a little bit intimidating if you don't know about strength and balance. So I thought a much simpler thing was to draw a diagram and encourage people to do some of the things we've just discussed outside. And it's a very simple approach, but I think, you know, I notice people doing it. I do it myself and I'm walking my dogs. A little addition to the walking route that just reminds people that muscle activity, as well as taking steps, is an important uh, part of the process. And if every park in Scotland had one of those sets of signs, <laughs> maybe we would get awareness, minimum awareness. You don't have to do it to become aware that that's an important thing. And then maybe that leads to behavior change and something more normal that you see people doing it and you say oh good they're doing their strength and balance and, and rather than what on earth is that person doing <laughs> yeah I think that's great because I think it's that um that awareness just seeing that this is something that you can do and finding out why it's important and just yeah be seeing and hearing that message over a couple of times just gradually starts to set it in people's yeah. minds that perhaps this is something I should be thinking about and I love having, having these in every park in Scotland. I just think that would be wonderful. And it's something we're yeah. trying to do with um, some of the health walk projects. We would love to be able to uh, work with them to put some signage yeah. into the local parks that they use because then not only is the, the information there for members of the public just to see as they walk past, but they would also perhaps see the local health walk project trying some of the exercises on their walk. And, you know, exactly. it's gradually helps people to get into the, the yeah. this is something that we should all be doing. It should be in every... Yeah. One, one of the first things I worked with Pastoral on was the pedometer, use of pedometers. And that was some of our original research about how people should use this, um, how they should use it to build up their own steps. And, and, and that unique little step counting thing is almost now universal. Everyone has it in their phone or on a device. But economics of that uh, the paper we wrote about the cost effectiveness of that approach we named cheap as chips pedometers are cheap as chips so i think the signage for strength and balance are also cheap as chips for what they could achieve whereas some of the more complex equipment is not that cheap so uh, that's why i would pose that particular approach to increasing people's understanding and opportunities for strength and balance to be 
simple on your own strength uh, kind of exercise rather than using equipment. Mm -hmm. Just on that similar theme, um, we produced some uh, signage for strength and balance, which is designed to go on the walls of um, hospital wards and yep. health and social care type settings, care homes. And I was wondering if you think that resource would be quite useful for staff working in those types of settings. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen the signs in the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley. In fact, my colleague Susan Moog uh, is the consultant there and she noticed the opportunity that for people on her ward to use the ward corridor for walking and then she was very convinced about the strength and balance approach so she promoted that for people in her ward so they're getting activity because one of the major uh, reasons why people lose strength is being bedbound. And this was the very original research in physiology of strength training goes back, you know, 50, 60 years. They put people to bed rest for two days. And when they got up, they could hardly walk. You know, a minimal amount of loss of activity, two days in bed with a cold or a flu, and you're going to lose strength. So you've got to build it back up again. So inactivity, sitting around a lot, is quite like bed rest. So in, in the... The hospital, Susan wanted to avoid that. She wanted her patients not to lose their strength while they were recovering. One of the kind of leading aims of the Physical Activity and Health Research Centre is to encourage people to sit less and move more. So we've talked yeah. about to kind of move more and how important that is. You know, what about the sit less side of things? What, what can we do to reduce our sitting great so and that's a really good question and of course sitting time is uh, the new kid in the block in, in physical activity for health research indeed 30 years ago the exercise science world was definitely not thinking about sitting it was just not on the horizon what we were thinking about was how to help people get fitter and stronger and so to so suddenly find research that is telling us that not only do we have to move more and be physically active to gain health benefits, we also have to consider how much time we sit down was quite a dramatic new set of finding. And I would say that over the past five years, the evidence for that has just grown and grown and grown. So we now have fairly strong evidence that suggests that long bouts of sitting down even if you are doing some physical activity, is not good for your health. And in particular, your metabolic health. So this is about our, our ability to move sugar out of our bloodstream, to maintain our weight, uh, and indeed to maintain our muscular strength. So sitting has particular disadvantages for that. Um, and a lot of the recent research has been focused on mortality from sitting and trying to work out, does this, is this as important as physical activity? And the evidence for that is not as strong. But my own view is that sitting is important, again, for how we feel. And ask many, many people, they feel sluggish. They feel stiff. You know, so your own body is telling you sitting down for long periods of time is not the greatest thing. So our work has involved trying to find ways of helping people simply remember 
to get up and move about as often as they can. And I think that's going to be a blossoming field. We haven't cracked it. It's not as simple as the kind of pedometer led walking steps, but you know, our day is punctuated in various ways and we need to tap into that. And when we encourage a cup of coffee or break it up by going to get things that are far away. In fact, in one of our studies, uh, a woman always told us she put her coat up the stairs so that whenever she was having to go and go out and think about it, she went up and down the stairs to, to get her coat and bring it back. So people can also find ways to do it television adverts, answering the phone, always stand up. What we're trying to do is find the method to bring to people's awareness, sitting down for long periods. And, and here I would say it's an hour, you know, wrap it up in rough time periods. Don't sit down for more than an hour at a time. Get up, do a stretch, go and get your cup of tea, or just get up and move around before you have to sit down again. Take breaks from sitting down is a clear message and we're still working to be honest on how well we can help people to do that Let, let's do our aside to our current restrictions here then yes that let's do that so we're in a very interesting uh, situation as everyone will know um, about how to restrict the spread of the COVID-19 virus and amongst the restrictions imposed are to stay in your house other than four essential reasons that you're allowed to leave. And one of those essential reasons is for exercise. Now, when I first heard this, I was absolutely delighted. Um, despite the fact that we were facing a global health crisis, I found the moment to go, wow, they've really helped us here. Because, of course, these were the chief medical officers giving these guidelines. They had just written their updated guidelines about the importance of physical activity for health. And so they said, people need this. If we restrict people in their house, we'll have a huge drop in activity. Inactivity is very bad for people's physical and mental health. So let's allow them to leave their houses to exercise once a day. And that's, we've never had that high level endorsement of this particular topic of physical activity for health I believe it's a game changer people will see it as much more important than ever before people that we used to have to convince about physical activity will now know well we were told during time of restriction that we could leave house to exercise but to add to that we're allowed to leave the house and if we can possibly get to green space we'll be adding to the well-being benefits of being outside and getting close to nature if we possibly can and in Scotland most people are able to get to green space or nature from their door with a bit of effort of course uh, and so that is a great piece of news for for us that that we can get outside and most people again I think will walk there'll be the very uh, motivated uh, exercisers who loved to run or cycle and they'll be able to do that but this is sustained over days and days and days so you maybe don't want to do running every single day because that might not be great you will revert back to walking there'll be another group of people who would get their exercise in incidental ways walking to the bus stop walking at lunchtime 
they'll now have to purposefully go out and walk and they might find that very good for their well-being and um, build that up over time and, and find a new habit for themselves and there will of course be other people for whom this is an enormous challenge they don't live near a nice place to walk they are looking after children or other dependents they might be trying to work from home as well we understand the challenge of that but yet they've been given permission to do it and we might just learn from this process what the real barriers are for people to be able to gain a little bit of activity every day which is really the message that this restriction has given us mm -hmm. big time exercise every day and that's important for your mental and physical health and well-being yeah that's very interesting and i saw from the survey results um i think it was from a survey in england that people see are rating very highly physical activity is something very important that we should be doing and it's yep. that kind of is raising up in people's consciousness is that is you know an important yep. part of our, our daily activity and of course to add to that we still need the strength and balance so we're most likely to do that unless you've got a park with signs or a park with equipment or you know how to do strength and balance yourself whilst you're out you're most likely to have to do that in the house. So again, we come back to giving people simple messages like sit to stand, sit to stand, carrying a can of beans in each hand, press ups against the wall, uh, sit ups on the floor. These things have to be done probably in the house. And with obviously that message isn't being reinforced. That might be all some people can manage. Some people are restricted and and not able to come and do their exercise outside the door. So again, there's a great need for public education about how to do that, how to find something that you like. Music will help, videos could help. We've got lots of stuff that need to get to people for whom that might be their only route to exercise. And again, it's a big public health challenge to do that. We've been trying to produce some resources around strength and balance, particularly that people can use at home. For example, our leaflet we've made as a download so we can easily email it to all our networks and it can be yeah. cascaded out to as many people as we can so that people have a resource that they can um, look to and uh, try and do some activities and then just to kind of finish up Nanette tell us about any kind of new projects you're working on. Ah okay um, well a couple of very interesting projects I'm working on across the UK uh, one is being led by the University of Loughborough and my colleague Amanda Daly and this is called Snacktivity. Now the issue is we've been saying for a long time that people might be able to build up their activities in small amounts over the course of the day like walking to the bus stop or parking your car further away or doing a walk at lunchtime, it all adds up. Actually, no one had really tested that out to determine if that does provide absolutely the same benefits of do, doing it all in a one hour or if people could actually do it at all. So Amanda's project is focusing on taking activity snacks, helping people who are in the intervention group, it will be a, a large scale study, uh, use a mobile phone app to remind them of a kind of snack they could take. It includes strength and balance, it includes walking, it includes all sorts of 
different activities that you can do in a small space of time to, to actually ask the effectiveness and cost effectiveness of that approach. And the other major project I'm involved with at the moment is called Recon. And again, this is a large scale, long term project focusing on dementia. So two different populations, older adults who are not showing any symptoms of dementia on one side, older adults who have symptoms of dementia on the other side. And on each side, one part, one half of that group is getting an intervention that includes both physical activity, part of my role in the project, and a kind of brain games approach versus the control of that side who just receives normal everyday activities, nothing extra special. So both in the normal population, no dementia, the population with some dementia symptoms, we're testing out will physical activity and brain games help prevent for the population without symptoms, help treat the population with symptoms. So that's a big, big trial. Seven years in, in, in the process. And it's very exciting to see that kind of study being funded and the role of physical activity clearly is there, which I know you'll be interested in because you've already in past role accepted the idea that activity and walking can help both prevent and perhaps treat dementia symptoms. Yeah, both those studies sound really interesting. It'd be really great to hear how they're progressing and the final results as well. I'm sure we'd be really interested to hear the, the findings of those and you know, put any recommendations into practice as well. So final, final question. Tell us about your favourite walk. Ooh. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I know this. I know this. Um, so I would definitely say that Keel's Den in Fife, maintained by the Woodland Trust so that we're able to walk in all seasons, that is one of my favourite walks. Thanks, Nanette. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for all the useful advice and information that we can get out to people during this time well thank you for inviting me it's it's always a pleasure to to work with pastoral i'm a huge champion of their work well done